This is As Lutheran As It Gets. This is the brand new podcast put together by Pastor Christopher Gillespie and Pastor Donovan Riley. Uh, that was Pastor uh, Gillespie, or CGZ as we call him, <laughs> and I'm Pastor Donovan Riley. PZGZ. Yeah. And this is a, I'm, I'm sure at some point going to become a very disjointed and multi-dimensional <laughs> podcast, <laughs> just based on the personalities and idiosyncrasies and quirks of Pastor Gillespie and myself. But nonetheless, we will forge our way into the future from the present and uh, get super meta along the way, I'm sure. Absolutely. Actually, uh, what we had talked about when we conceived of this as Lutheran as it gets podcast, uh, because we are constantly dropping really obscure references to Mm. things that only people that grew up in our generation, I think, would know. And then there's a whole bunch of sub basements under that, just because we're geeky. Um, <laughs> that if our, you know, if any listener can actually figure out all of the references in a particular podcast, I will buy them a pound of Pastor Gillespie's coffee. Oh yeah, we did say that, didn't we? Yeah, in the in the so, farewell address of uh, the that's simulcast. right of the simulcast. Right. So go check that out and uh, that ch- uh, episode eighty of the simulcast. We're talking yeah. about our spiritual fathers. Which is a nice segue into the whole reason for this podcast on higher things. Uh, it is entitled again as Lutheran as it gets, and not pretentious at all. Not right? pretentious at all. I don't think so. No, <laughs> as Lutheran as it gets. And what we're going to do on this podcast, what we hope to do and accomplish, is we are going to have a conversation with our Lutheran, our spiritual Lutheran fathers like Martin Luther, like Herman Saze, like Dr. Norman Nagel. Maybe we'll throw on some Bo Geertz. Oh, I don't know. Who, whoever maybe comes even, out of the world. Maybe even like Mr. Uh, Franz. Peeper hey, little, little, little Peeper a maybe. boy. Who knows? Yeah. Yeah. We'll see where we go. But what we wanted to do is, is grab um, the flotsam and jetsam of <laughs> different theologians' work and go, you know, not just the, the, you know, the greatest hits package, but to grab a theologian, uh, one of our Lutheran fathers, and go to the B-side, go to those <laughs> deep tracks, right, like the basement tapes, and pull out some gems that maybe you aren't familiar with. So maybe you are familiar with Martin Luther, but you don't know some of his work that is really powerful stuff, but isn't as you know popular, say, the Heidelberg Disputation or the Catechisms or things like that that are more well-known. Amongst right. Lutherans, anyways. And then when we get to people like Herman Saze and Dr. Norman Nagel, people who maybe, as a Lutheran, you're not all that familiar with. Maybe you've heard the name. Maybe right. you've read a few things here and there, but you're not really ready to go deep, deep on the Wikipedia page of Herman Saze or Dr. Norman Nagel. So we're going to dip into them, too, and pull mm-hmm. out uh, some sermons. And well, Actually, we can pull some sermons out by Herman Saze, too. Yeah, we could. Uh, our friend Bro, uh, Bro Erickson, Pastor Bro Erickson, translated a book of Herman Saze's sermons. And, uh, yeah, spent a lot of time proofreading that. Yeah, I see So that. we thought for this first episode, since we're talking about Lutherans, we should start with the Godfather himself, Dr. Martin Luther. That's right. The great, the great, great grandfather of punk. And... Mm. Um, Considered like one of the what top top five intellectuals of all time. All time, like that, right? yeah. Life magazine when they had their whatever it was, um, some anniversary issue. It was, or something. Yeah. They had an issue where they had they listed the hundred most influential people in Western civilization over a certain amount of time, like the last thousand years or something like that, two thousand mm-hmm. years. And Luther was four. Yeah, 
they considered Martin Luther the fourth most influential person, yeah, uh, essentially in Western civilization. Yeah, I mean, he was the first uh, like widely published, you know, artist that, or not artist. Yeah, I guess we'd say artist or writer, whatever. Mm-hmm. I mean, because well, he had music too, you know. That uh, he exploded. He was like, you know, the printing press was had been around a while, but it was kind of like in its GeoCities days, you know. Right. And then Facebook came along, and it Luther all was like up. the Luther was like the David Lynch of, of <laughs> yeah, theologians in the 1500s, yeah. like middle age, middle ages. Yeah. yeah, the first like social media expert, really. Yeah. Musician, writer, director, producer. Yeah, yeah. He wrote the whole show. Propagandist. Uh, a lot of people don't realize how uh, funny Luther. Well, I guess you you know Luther has a very earthy <laughs> sense of humor. How's that? It's very earthy. Yeah, that's but, right. But uh, because of the printing press, uh, the Lutherans really perfected propaganda hmm. in publishing pamphlets that made fun of uh, their opponents in cartoon form. Yeah. But anyways, to the point then, I thought what we would look at is Luther's commentary, which isn't a commentary at all, it's a letter, uh, but it's listed in Luther's Works Volume 14, uh, my very favorite volume of Luther's works, actually, um, even more than the Galatians, uh, 1535 stuff. Um, and So these are, these are psalm letters about the psalm. Well, actually, this, this, this psalm, one Psalm is. 118, Luther wrote this as a letter while he was at the Coburg Castle. Oh. Um, in 1531. Right. And for those who don't understand what was going on, well, they were off, uh, the Lutheran theologians, the Wittenberg theologians were off in a place called, uh, what's that place called? That one city? Uh, Augsburg? Augsburg? Yeah, Augsburg. Yeah, in 1531. Yeah, off in Augsburg, yeah. cooking something up over there. Some right. Augsburg statement, Augsburg manifesto, something like that. And Luther couldn't go because... Augustana. He, Augustana, sweet, sweet Augustana. But Luther couldn't go because he had been excommunicated by the church, and so that meant that he could be arrested and executed on site if he crossed over the border from where he was at into Augsburg, into the area of Augsburg. And so he was stuck in the castle. And Luther being, I'm pretty sure, ADHD, uh, um, or at least being a spiritual hyperactive, uh, couldn't sit still, but he was stuck there. And he... uh, wrote letters every day to every one of the ambassadors from Wittenberg at, and, and sent them by messenger. And to the point where they actually were sending letters back uh, asking him not to write them anymore <laughs> because he was trying to micromanage them at Augsburg from, from, you know, from the Coburg castle. And uh, Melanchthon really complained about it. It was hilarious. But yeah, Luther was trying to micromanage them from far away. But, and so one of the things that Luther actually did then is he wrote this letter, uh, Psalm 118, um, and again, it, as far as letters go, this is a very, very long letter. <laughs> yeah, that's a long psalm too, right? Yes, it is very long. He, uh, Luther called Psalm 18 the Confetimony, his beloved mm-hmm. psalm. Yeah, I see uh, that. It's his favorite. It's always been my favorite too. It's um, like his motto, right? Especially, yes. yeah. Yep. The, uh, what we're going to look at. The heart of his motto is, is what we're going to dig into, which is verse yeah. 17. Psalm 118, verse 17 I shall not die, but I shall live, and I will recount the deeds of the Lord. Hmm. Or literally translated, I will not die, but I will live, and I will proclaim the works of Yahweh of the Lord. Mm-hmm. Um, so, on page 87, there's these two paragraphs where Luther just hits it so perfectly. And for those who don't know, you know, the, the thought or the idea of Luther rediscovering the gospel, so to speak, or, or 
coming up with justification by faith alone and Christ alone, that that was something that happened when he was lecturing on the Romans, uh, the letter to the Romans in 1517, but it right. really wasn't. The it, All of the raw material was there by the end of the first Psalms lectures, by the end of 1515, 1516 for him. Right. And that's right. actually really where he is beginning to struggle with this whole doctrine of righteousness, but also the doctrine of justification. Yeah, and law and gospel too, right? Right. And this is all happening while he's lecturing on the Psalms. And so he's got this raw material coming out of the Psalms, and it's actually then the Romans commentary that sculpt it and shape it into what would become, you know, the Reformation, the theology of the Reformation, or the Lutheran confession of faith. But Luther is, of course, first and foremost an Old Testament professor. That's his bread and butter. That's where he's most at home is in the Old Testament. Mm -hmm. Um, He spent over a decade translating and editing the German edition the German translation of the Old Testament, the Hebrew Old Testament. Um, he fiddled with it constantly um, mm-hmm. because of that. Yeah, perfectionist, I understand that. And yet, then at the very heart of that is not only the Psalms for him, this little Bible, as he called it. You know, he said, you know, every doctrine in Scripture is is taught in the Psalms. Everything in all of Scripture is actually in the Psalms. Yeah. So for Luther, the Psalms were the little Bible. It was the heart of Scripture. But then the heart of the Psalms for Luther is Psalm 118. Is and that then, the reason why why you've seen like copies of um, like uh, the Psalms, the Catechism, and just one of the Gospels, or maybe the four Gospels? You know, have you seen those? Yeah. Right. Yeah. So because you, you pretty much can get the whole thing right from yeah. there. Yeah. Exactly. And there's a Roman Catholic priest, I, I can't remember his name off the top of my head, but he made the comment um, that you don't really have the right Christology if you don't understand the Psalms, if you don't read the Psalms. Oh. That really oh. everything that you need to know about Christ is is there in the Psalms for you. And that's, again, why it's referenced so often in the Gospels. There's so many Psalms being referenced in the Gospels. Um, hmm. So at the heart of this, then, are these two paragraphs where, again, things kind of, and this is 1531, so this is after the catechisms have been published, everything's happening in Augsburg, eventually mm-hmm. the Augsburg Confession is going to emerge out of that, and this is what he writes then while he's waiting for all of these things to happen. And he writes on at the top of page 87, we should recognize this verse, verse 17, as a masterpiece. <laughs> <laughs> I shall not die, but I shall live. <laughs> And recount the works of the Lord, proclaim the works of the Lord. This is a masterpiece, he says. How mightily the psalmist banishes death out of sight. He will know nothing of dying and of sin. At the same time, he visualizes life most vividly and will hear of nothing but life. That'll light your hair on fire right there. Yeah. But, there's the gospel, but... Whoever will not see death lives forever. As Christ says, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. Gospel of John 8, 51. Didn't they want to stone him after he said that? Yeah, Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Whoever will not see death lives forever. What? (laughs) Yeah, right. Like, he just drops that. It's just like this, it's just a sentence. He just drops it and he moves on as if that's no big thing to say that. Mm. (laughs) He will know nothing of dying and of sin. And at the same time, simultaneously, he visualizes life most vividly and he'll hear of nothing but life. Because if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. Yeah. Well, which is uh, one of those, what do we call it, dialectic? Mm-hmm. Right? Lutheran, mm-hmm. like, or Lutheran, like a tension, right? Between two ideas that don't, don't seem to work together. And yet right. they're absolutely true, right? Right, exactly. That for the Christian, we receive life out of death. Out of yes. Christ's death, out of, through our death. 
Right. Death to sin and baptism, death, you know, death and resurrection on the last day. And this is, you know, Luther in, in, in teaching his students says that when you go to the deathbed hmm. as a pastor, take a crucifix with you and hold the Christ crucified before their face yeah. as they die so that the last thing that they see, the last thing they hear is the name of Christ, their resurrection and their life. The same thing they'll see in their resurrection. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> they die seeing what they'll see. Right. And so, and actually, Luther's going to get to that by the end of these two paragraphs. So, that, there you go. You anticipated Dr. Luther. Oh, man. I haven't even read it yet. You passed so that, the Lutheran oh, test. You I passed the away that I test. Didn't, that I didn't prepare for this? Okay. Even better. <laughs> so, pushing on then. Whoever will not see death lives forever, as Christ says in John 8, 51. If anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. Mm-hmm. He so immerses himself in life that death is swallowed up by life. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 55. Mm-hmm. He so immerses himself in life that death is swallowed up by life and disappears completely because he clings with a firm faith to the right hand of God. This is just like explosion after explosion after explosion. Yeah. If this were an action movie, it would be just complete sensory <laughs> overload by the end of the first act. Mind blown. So, and of course, the right hand of God is Christ. It's Jesus himself who again, Mm. he was seated at the right hand of God. Thus, all of the saints have sung this verse and will continue to sing it to the end. We note this especially in the case of the martyrs. So far as the world is concerned, they die. Yet their hearts say with a firm faith, I shall not die, but live. Yeah. Reminds me of Stephen then, right? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, he's, he's there, he's being stoned, first martyr, and then, first Christian martyr, and what, what does he see? What's the vision the Lord gives him? Right, exactly. He sees the right hand of God. Yeah. He sees he Christ. in mind, right? Yeah. That, that he, he's in the midst of death, he confesses life in Christ. Right? And that's, this is an, you know, that's actually a good point that you, that you kind of allude to, is that one of the things that often annoy other people about Lutherans is our <laughs> demand of context. <laughs> And that you not cherry pick mm. Bible verses, but mm-hmm. rather you read the Bible as a whole. That right. yeah, there are sixty six individual writings of literature that make up our Bible. With but how rather, many different authors? Right? With how many different authors? And right. yet, because they are all inspired and so moved by the Spirit, they spoke as they were moved by the Spirit. The confession then is going to point to the same Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So you'll notice then, especially in Luther's works. But uh, in all of the really best Lutheran theologians, mm-hmm. their, their biblical literacy allows them, it gives them this freedom to move so freely, freely right. to move so freely, you know, that they're just so fluid in recognizing and drawing, you know, pattern recognition, we would call it, of seeing yeah, right. the relation of Psalm 1, of 118.17 to, to Stephen or the martyrs, sure. right? sure. And yeah, they're like the first meta guys, right? Yeah, exactly. They, they see the Bible as meta. That right. This is, that it's not idea, 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 or story, 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 but it's, right. there's, a, there's not only a common thread who is Christ, um, but but it is um, far more, uh, what do you want to say, complicated? Or right. The, 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 the way the tapestry has been woven together is... Complex. Uh, am, am, amazingly complex. Right. right. It's, it's like uh, we would, you know, like a scientist talks about an atom as being elegant. Yeah, right. Elegance. That, there's an elegance. Okay. It's a complexity of elegance that, well, in the Bible. Well, and, you know, uh, when you're when you're preaching a sermon, I mean, you make allusions as well, and right. 
and or sometimes you're explicit, but you don't quote, you don't say verse in this verse mm-hmm. of this, you know, or this book and verse and text. You know, right. um, it just comes out. It's just part of what what you say. Yeah, you know, because exactly. You're so immersed in it. That's right. So I mean, that's, yeah, that, you know, it's like it. um, it's interesting you mentioned that. I think we've that. Norman McLean is a famous author. He wrote, most famously, he wrote a short story entitled The River Runs Through It, which they made a movie about in the 90s. And he also wrote another book at the end of his life called Young Men in Fire about fire jumpers in Montana. Mm. And the the interesting thing, though, about Norman McLean is his father was a Presbyterian minister. And so when you read Norman McLean, who grew up a Presbyterian, Especially in A River Runs Through It, for example, where his father is, because this is about him and his brother growing up fly fishing and his father and right. his, how his brother tragically was murdered and so forth. Um, that, but when you read McLean, so there's a lot of that in there uh, from his father's own mouth of that language, that kind of catechized, Christianized, biblical literacy that you grow up with when you're around a, a Presbyterian mm-hmm. minister in Montana. But then when you get to Young Men in Fire, and this is a completely separate story from anything that happened to him bi- biographically, the language of the Westminster Catechism just pops up mm. in his prose as he writes. And you can tell it's unconscious. You can tell that he didn't mean he to do that. He just lived in it, right? He, yeah, it's so, it's, his faith is so lived in that it's just his natural language. Mm-hmm. And for Luther, again, it's, 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 that's the way it is, is that the, the language of Scripture is so deeply embedded in Luther that he can't not see the patterns. He cannot not see Christ everywhere. Right. Because that's what the, the, the text has done to him is it's reduced everything to one thing, one person, Jesus Christ. Right. But then out of that one subject, it, it just explodes into all of these different areas. Yeah. And so you get Abraham and, and Mount Morian, the sacrifice of Isaac, and you have David, and you you know fleeing Absalom, and you have Mary coming to Jesus at the wedding at Cana, mm. and all of these you know various, but they all lead to the same Christ. And this is where, right. and that's what Luther is constantly driving towards too. And this is why he makes these illusions. It's kind of like Luther's Luther's what Genesis commentary, where he's talking about uh, Jacob. I think it was, or I can't yeah. remember one of the prophets offering sacrifices, and mm-hmm. then preaching to his children of of um, of the Messiah, of the incarnation, of the death, resurrection that's, of Christ. Yeah, that's. I think it's Seth. Was that Seth? Maybe I think it it's yeah, Seth, yeah, the first one sense. to preach. Yeah, technically, it's like um, that. Are you reading too much in that text? But it's like, no, I mean, this they trust in the yeah. promise. Of right. course. Exactly. This is what the New Testament teaches, of course. Right. Yeah. Because Adam and Eve trust in the promise, and that's why they name, give mm-hmm. the name of their oldest Cain, you know, this is the son, the, the, uh, the, whom, the Lord. Sorry, right. uh, God has given us a son who is the Lord. Right. They fully anticipate Cain being the Messiah. So then, again, everything points to Christ. So coming back around to I shall not die but live, Mm-hmm. Luther's point here then is when Stephen and all the martyrs, when they are executed for their confession, for the gospel, they don't die <laughs> because they're not looking at death. They're looking at life who is Christ. They're, they're seeing the right hand of God, the hand of mercy. And therefore, death can't touch them because death is swallowed up by life, mm-hmm. which is like Luther even points out, to the world, this is a radically stupid thing to believe. Right. Because dead is dead. Death is the end. Yeah, yeah. dead is dead. Not so dead yet. Then he goes on in the second paragraph on page 87. At this point, in this masterpiece of a verse, at this point we should learn the rule. 
Whenever in the Psalter and Holy Scripture the saints deal with God concerning comfort and help in their need, eternal life and the resurrection of the dead are involved. Ah. Right? So, I have that highlighted, underlined with exclamation marks on both sides. So, is this, is, is this, uh, we'll have to read it again, but is it like where there's forgiveness of sins, there is life and salvation? Yeah, funny how that works, isn't it? Uh huh. Like we learn in the Catechism, and here it yeah. is. In the Psalter, as in all of Holy Scripture, the saints deal with God. This is how the saints, those who are baptized children of God, this is how a saint deals with God when it comes to the topic of comfort and help when they're in need. <laughs> what are they, how do they deal with God? I want eternal life and resurrection from the dead. That's what we're dealing with here. That's what's involved when the saints deal with God. Right. So, for, exam- so for yeah. example, when you're, when you're um, trying to bring comfort to somebody who's struggling with a, like a terminal illness, right? Yeah. I mean, maybe it's not even terminal, but maybe it's life-threatening. So, so you say, you can say, you know, we can pray for healing, Right. Right. But we, we don't have the same promise for healing in this life that we have in the resurrection, right? Yeah. Which is the full and complete healing. So we pray for both, you know, if it's your will now. But certainly we know with all confidence in the resurrection, right? Exactly, and so, yes. so our comfort rests not in, like, making my best life now, <laughs> right? but, but that, that the Lord would give you um, your best life to come. Right. Because mm-hmm. as Paul points out, to live is Christ, to die is gain. Right. So my <laughs> best life, the best life I can hope for, the side of the resurrection is the life that Jesus suffered <laughs> in, in his own flesh. So go go easy on that one <laughs> if that's what you're praying for, kids. Yeah, right. Yeah, let's get uh, let's get uh, lacerated by a whip and uh, right, let's, uh, have right. Our hands and feet nailed through. I'm I I was uh, away out of town at the. Uh, where were we? Oh, yeah, I was down in Texas, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's a common phrase among a lot of the, the Christians I met there that uh, when you're helping people in need, you're the hands and feet of Jesus. Right. But I couldn't help but laugh and say, well, I'm thinking in, internally. I didn't say this out yeah. loud. Because uh, the people are suffering. You are now, but, so go ahead. But sure. it's like, mm, yeah, yeah, I know. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I don't see wounds <laughs> in right. your hands and feet. Right. Um you know, I mean, you're giving up things and you're sacrificing for the sake of your neighbor and mm-hmm. love. So that's wonderful, and that 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 is the idea. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, be the hands and feet. I, isn't there isn't there some like church in Spain or whatever where the guys actually get yes they get do crucified? yeah the stigmata yeah they do that for Good Friday or something in the Philippines they they get crazy or too they crucify yeah. themselves yeah uh, that's not quite what we mean so here. in the Psalms in the Psalter in the Holy Scripture whenever the saints deal with God. Mm-hmm. about the, the topic of comfort or their help and need, eternal life and the resurrection that are involved. All these texts, all such texts belong to the doctrine of the resurrection and eternal life. In fact, to the whole third article of the creed with the doctrines of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection, and life everla- everlasting life. And it all flows, all flows out of the first commandment where God says, I am your God. <laughs> Ta-da! I mean, so com- comfort and help is under the third article of the that's, creed. We haven't even made it to the... That's that's barely halfway through the second paragraph. And he's just... Again, it's just explosion after explosion after explosion. And he probably whipped this out after his morning coffee. Well, he didn't have coffee yet. His morning... What would he have drank? Beer. And... Uh, <laughs> no, they did have coffee did by that time. No, I no, think they no, did. no, no. No, coffee came in to Germany between the time of Luther and Bach. Because it was only about maybe 30, right. 50 years old by the time of Bach. Mm-hmm. With hmm. his coffee cantata. It was a new thing. 
Interesting. Yeah, yeah, it didn't make it to Germany. I think it might All have right. been. Somebody Vienna Google it point. and send us the answer. Yeah, I know. Coffee by Gillespie. In by a the way. sentence. A sentence. <laughs> right. <Yeah. Jeez. laughs> Why Let's not go crazy. Uh, but yeah, no. Whatever he was eating or drinking or whatever, I mean, he's whipping this letter out. Yeah. And yet, to say something so profound. No, he, again, this is written as a letter. And if oh, I'd have to go back, this is a chapter in my my doctoral thesis. Um, I should remember this, but I think he this was he was drawing up. He wanted to drop something like the Catechism on justification, mm. um, or somebody wanted him to write up something on justification, like a catechetical kind of explanation of justification. And this is what he wrote instead. Huh. I think, and I'm I'm almost positive on this. I'll go back and check my notes. But when asked to write. Essentially, what would become the small call articles later, but when Luther was asked to write a, basically a thesis on justification, here you know a summary of our teaching on justification. When he sat down to write that, he wrote this instead. He wrote a letter on Psalm one eighteen to a friend of his who was a composer. Oh, yeah, and in the preface he says that uh, that he needs to take a break every once in a while from the hard work of translating uh, yes. the prophets into German. That's the Old Testament. Uh, <laughs> so he takes a break and he writes this. Yeah. So that you know to spare his head. Yeah, just, you know, if you could just rip off a, a short <laughs> treatise on justification for us, that'd be awesome. Yeah. It's like, just I got a better in idea. Your downtime, in your downtime. <laughs> yeah, in your downtime. I'm quite idle here in the wilderness. Well, and this is the beauty of Dr. Luther, though, mm. is that when asked to write a systematic theo- you know, theology, a treatise of systematic theology, he writes a commentary on the Bible mm. that for him, there is no theology that's not biblical. That's not the word of God. And we talked about on the simulcast, you know, we look at like yeah. small called, you know, which is kind of, he was kind of forced into in a way. Mm-hmm. Just, you know, um, by default, he wrote that. It's it's yeah. not very well organized. And, you know, it's probably, I don't want to say it's the weakest of the confession, but it's certainly the weakest as far as organization goes. It's, it's just like, ah, I guess my idea is I'm just going to throw these things out. It seems yeah. kind of half-baked, you know. <laughs> How dare you, sir? How, well, how dare you, know, you? I mean, it's, That's it's my good. favorite. No, it's good. I know. I love it. I love it because it because it is abstract. You know, whatever we say, complex abstract or something. Random abstract. Random he's abstract. All, it does just, seem to be. It's all he over. He hammers the map. it out. It's, it's yeah. beautiful. It is beautiful. But that is the thing: is that Luther is a biblical theologian first and mm. foremost, and so when he is asked to do things that are are we would consider systematic theology, he just writes commentaries on the Bible. That's how he kind of does it. That's the way he thinks. You know. So all um, texts concerning comfort and help in need yeah. belong to the third article and flow out of the first commandment. Yes. Now, do we? I don't know that we usually connect the first commandment to the third article. I know article. that's unfortunate because, uh, as I and, and Dr. John Pless um, from the seminary at Fort Wayne were discussing a couple of years ago, all pastoral theology is grounded in and flows out of the first commandment because yeah. all pastoral care is where has fear, love, and trust of God broken loose in this person's life mm. to cut them off from baptism. Yeah, right. And so that's every every confession is a confession of fear, love, or trust. And, and breaking loose from baptism is breaking loose from the Holy Spirit. And exactly. Article. Yeah. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Because if you, like he points out, if, if you're a saint, if you're a baptized child of God, then you're looking at Jesus, you're looking at the right hand of God, and therefore death can't harm you. Death is swallowed up by life. And if, you know, we believe we can't believe in Jesus Christ, our, our Lord, to come to him unless the Holy Spirit calls us by the gospel, then forgiveness, life, salvation, resurrection, that's all wrapped up in the Holy Spirit calling us by the gospel. 
to believe that mm-hmm. he is the God is our God. Right, exactly. Mm-hmm. So that's why he says, you know, uh, I am your God, Exodus 20, verse 2. This is the third article of the creed. This is what the third article emphasizes insistently. So that really, that's, mm. that's really the heart of pastoral care, the first commandment and the third article of the creed. But as he points out then, everything that has to do with the topics of comfort or help and need are going to flow out of the first commandment and third article of the creed. And every way that's received in the Christian, mm-hmm. it, yeah. for the Christian is received um, as a gift, right? Mm-hmm. Under the third article, by the Spirit, exactly. through the church, in the forgiveness of sins, but, you know, promise the resurrection, everlasting life. Exactly. Yeah. And so, while Christians deplore the fact that they suffer and die in this life, they comfort themselves with another life than this, namely that of God himself who was above and beyond this life. <laughs> it is not possible that they should totally die and not live again in eternity. For one thing, the God on whom they rely and in whom they find their consolation cannot die, and thus they must live in him. Besides, as Christ says, he is a God of the living, not of the dead, and of those who are no more, hmm. Matthew twenty-two thirty-two. Wow. Again, wow. Do you think Luther, did Luther make that citation? I don't remember how it's noted in the... Uh... Luther's I words. have to go back and look at the Weimar. I, yeah, I don't. I'm not confident he probably did. That might have been added in a later edition. Mm-hmm. I can't remember because it's not. In, they don't indicate the same way here in Luther's works, where you have the uh, brackets for editorial right. edition. Yeah. So, yeah, I was just curious because it's. Just, I, I imagine he just said it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, just he, he might have written it in in caps or put it or in the margin in or bold, something. Yeah, yeah, or written in the margins. Yeah. Yeah, but anyway. <laughs> So they comfort themselves, and this is very interesting because, again, you'll notice that Luther uses relational language to mm-hmm. discuss the resurrection and eternal life. That life is found where God is mm. because God is life. And so wherever God is, there's life. And if you are in God, if you are in Christ, if you are with God, you're alive. Even though you might physically die, you're still alive because God can't die, so therefore he won't allow you to stay dead. Wherever God is not, there's no life. Right. And so, therefore, life and resurrection and eternal life are all understood by Luther relationally, uh, by your relation to God, by your relation oh, to yes. Christ. Right? And, you know, I, I pointed this out before. I point this out, you know, we're in Ephesians right now in, in Sunday Bible study, adult Bible study. For Paul, there's in Christ and everybody else. Those are the two <laughs> categories. You're either right. in Christ or you're not. That's it. There's, wait, there's a minute, not, wait a minute, you know, what, about, what about denominations? And, nope, uh, there's not a multitude of choices. You're either in Christ visible, or not. Visible, invisible church. As, <laughs> as Jesus says, um, those who are, you know, again, leave them alone. Why? Because if they're for us, if they're doing work in my name, they're with us. They're not against us. What are you trying to stop them for? And this is the thing. You're either in Christ or you're not. If you're in Christ, you're alive, even though the world may call you dead. But if you're not in Christ, like the religious leaders, and Jesus says, woe to you, and they say, but, but I feel fine, well, it doesn't matter. In relation to God, you're dead. And if right. God says you're dead, you're dead. And if God says you're not dead, then you're asleep. That's how it works. <laughs> yeah. Which is amazing, again, that we're so, ah, what is, I don't know, not childish in our in our understanding of the first commandment right. that 
Luther sees forgiveness, life, and eternal salvation and resurrection in the first commandment. Hmm. And we don't automatically go, oh, yeah, obviously. Obviously, it's right there. Yeah. And yet, the ba- what's the premise of the first commandment? I am the Lord your God. Therefore, I the, am your life. The author and preserver of life. Right? Exactly. And so, and the giver of life in Christ, of course. Right. For the Christian. And that's all just in the, that's all encapsulated in that short little clause, I am the Lord your God. Hmm. Or I will be the Lord your God. Mm-hmm. I am the I am. Yeah. And his spirit, his breath, his life. Right. So he is a God of the living, not of the dead, and of those who are no more, Matthew 22. Therefore, Christians must live forever. Isn't that interesting, that imperative? Christians yeah. must live forever. Yeah. Otherwise, he would not be their God, nor could they depend on him unless they live. For this little group, these little, you know, this uh, little assembly of the saints, these Christians, for this little group, therefore, death remains no more than asleep. Period. Full stop. It's interesting because you know one of the one of the many pastoral conflicts I've had in my, <laughs> my yeah. brief, brief time as a pastor, you know, one of them was was over the language of death in the, in mm-hmm. the New Testament. Sure, people get really hung up on that. There was I don't know there was like a whole generation about that was uh, that was kind of in this it was probably Platonic right idea mm-hmm. of of body and soul separation of course, yeah. and exactly. soul sleep and did Luther teach soul sleep and right. you know so when when you die you're I don't know, somehow there's a body in the grave, but you're still playing golf in heaven. I haven't figured right. that out. Yeah, you're in bliss. You're, well, and well, that's the simplest confession, I think, is just to say, it's nice. No, I mean, in the soul sleep, your soul is in bliss and your body's rotting. And <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like well, plywood I and mean, rain. What kind of life is it without a body? I mean, did God make you without, did you have, he knew you before you were knit together in your mother's womb. Exactly. Right? But does did you exist? Had he created you? No. Exactly. No, I mean you were you were created body, soul, spirit together, right? Yeah, you know? and so that that's why it just seems interesting. The sleep is like really a comforting word. Yeah, hundred percent. If if you understand that um, that you are a complete person, right? But exactly. it, but if you want to separate that, and by the way, bodies, as Luther points out in his Magnificat commentary in fifteen twenty one, mm. we are put together in the same way that the uh, tent is put together which is also, again, the same way that the Trinity is put together. Whoa. I did, I, I, maybe I knew that. Tripartite, baby. Good night. I'll have to look that up. A triplicity, up. as Luther would say. Again, Luther didn't like the term Trinity. He liked the but word the triplicity. The tent of meeting? Yeah. Holy of Holies. Cool. And then what's right outside the Holy That's of Holies? That's a magnificent. Oh, I could have used it. And that. then right, right outside of that, is he? Yeah. Uh, Yep. I had I had an STM thesis I never actually finished. That would be that would have been good for that. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Oh well. Someday. But yeah, the the tent is uh, of course a reflection of the Trinity. It points to the Trinity, and and the way that we are put together also points to the Trinity. Well, it is interesting because yeah, you're brought from the outside in, right? Yeah, exactly. You're, you're brought from you know from the world through through water. There's the basin, right? Uh, it, and pass it, and the sacrifice of Christ, and you're atoned for, yep. and brought into the into the dwelling place of God, mm-hmm. you know where He sits upon His throne. Ooh, Crazy, beautiful, huh? yeah. Therefore, Christians must live forever, hmm. which is why oh. then He would say that the psalmist confesses, "I will not die, but I will live, and I will proclaim the works of the Lord." So, what does this say to the Christians who think that um, that they're dying? That they're, or maybe that their faith is dying, or the church is dying, mm-hmm. or whatever. I mean, they speak of death in terms of any of the works of God, <laughs> right? Any of the any of the things that the third article belongs to the, that flow from the first article, mm-hmm. right? So, mm-hmm. or from the exactly. first commandment. First commandment. So, yeah. 
So it's like, um, if there is no forgiveness of sins, if there's no hope in the resurrection mm-hmm. uh, or or trust in the in, in the life that that he's promised, yeah. uh, what does that say about where your locatedness or your your relationship to God? Right, exactly. It's essentially what you're struggling to do is escape being in Christ. Yeah, refusing the life that he promises. Either because that, you're that not being, either the gospel's not being preached to you, you're not being given the gospel, and therefore you're not comforted, mm-hmm. and you're not being helped by that gospel word, which points your nose in the direction, like Luther says here, of forgiveness, life, eternal salvation, the resurrection. Christians right. must live forever. God is a God of life, not of death. Like all of that then is gospel. It's good news. And if your nose isn't pointed that direction, then of course you're yanking against God. You're, you're trying to flee from God because you don't then see God as God of life. You don't see in the first commandment resurrection, eternal life. Instead, in the first commandment, all you hear is, I haven't done that. I haven't fear. I don't have trust. I, I don't, I don't fear love. and love trust God more than anything yeah. else. I fear love and trust my kids. I fear love and trust my job or my ideals or myself, whatever it may be. Um, but depending on how you hear that, if you know, again, the old Adam hears the first commandment as a as a prescription: do this and you'll live. And then he mm-hmm. tries to do it and ends up creating more gods than he had before he heard the first commandment. Yeah. Whereas the new man in Christ hears, "You will have no other gods," and he automatically sees Christ crucified. He right. sees forgiveness, life, salvation, resurrection. Puts to death the old Adam. Exactly. Right? Exactly. The, the law accuses, and, and that, yeah, mm-hmm. the new man puts to death. Right. So the law is given to increase the trespass, and that's all the old Adam hears. <laughs> that's all the sinners hears it is you know, sin piled upon sin beyond all measure. Yeah. Whereas if you're in Christ and your nose is pointed towards Christ, that's what you're hearing, that's what you're seeing is life. And the commonest image is when you look at a crucified Jesus in a church or whatever, wherever it may be around someone's throat uh, on jewelry, do you think life or do you see death? Do you see an execution or do you see forgiveness, life, and eternal salvation? Right. What do you see? And the answer actually technically for a Lutheran would be both. Right, of course. And so it's not a matter of if you're, you know, if you're a real Christian, you're, you're always going to be, I'm, I'm not afraid of dying. But if you're a bad Christian, you're going to be afraid. No. These are happening simultaneously right. all the time, which is why you need a preacher. <laughs> I was struck by this when we, uh, years and years ago when we had a preschool and uh, I had a reformed, sorry, reformed folks, if you're listening, a uh, reformed teacher who was like, well, you can't show images of the crucified Jesus to these right. children because it's going to offend them. It's, or it's going to, sca- you know, it's going to, uh, yeah. what do you want to say? Um, you know. It's, it's going to scandalize them, right? <laughs> yeah. It's going to make things because uh, it's so brutal, and so I don't read the, and certainly don't read the gospel account to them. And I'm like, holy cow! I mean, that's a totally different position than we have because mm-hmm. because we hear regularly preached, God willing, in our churches, mm-hmm. the message of the cross. We actually hear that we we need to hear the story explicitly told, especially mm-hmm. you know we appoint Holy Week for that um, to hear that, especially through all four gospels. But mm-hmm. we. You know that's always before us, and we, the old Adam, of course, is always scandalized by it. But but the new man of Christ loves it, right? Because there's Jesus, the Jesus who we have is the Jesus who did this for us. Right. And she was, exactly. she must not ever hear this, is what I thought. Mm-hmm. She must not hear that Christ died for her sins. Otherwise, she wouldn't be scandalized by by yeah. the idea of showing these children. I don't know. I, I don't remember now. It's been so many years, but I probably didn't talk about forgiveness of sins with the kids either. Mm-hmm. Not surprising, right? Exactly. So, then, exactly. so then all you see in the cross is death. Right. Because it, if, if all you see is a prescription, hmm. you know, you did this, 
<laughs> now, how are you going to undo killed this? Your, you killed yeah. your savior. You killed your savior. You're guilty of deicide. Now, what are you going to do? The right you know, answer. How, the, the right that uh, begs the question: What must we do to be saved? Then exactly, exactly. Wow. Yeah. But no, no death. But no, if there's no death. Yeah. Um, if you're in Christ, if you must live forever in Christ, then um, the last enemy to be conquered, death, um, right. should not cause us any fear either. Right. right. Exactly. Because we're free. And that's, we're that's essentially what you're called to do as a pastor. That's the pastoral vocation is to get people, you know, to grab people, uh, shepherd people away from, you know, the edge of the cliff. Mm-hmm. <laughs> back into the the tall grass and say no look at this is the direction you're supposed to be facing um and because ultimately fear of death and how that breaks loose in your life trusting in the power of death even becoming infatuated with obsessed with death hmm. or dying you know what we call it living but essentially it's just trying not to die day to day it's not really living at all for a lot of people they're just trying to survive keto it, it's all broken loose. How dare you, sir? How dare you? <laughs> Good night. Like since you brought it up, I'd give a shout out to Live Kombucha, raw and organic. I love the pure doctor flavor. <laughs> Probiotics, organic, gluten free. Hey I like man. That. If it if it helps you if it helps you think like, I'm, I'm drinking bacteria. I'm drinking live bacteria and they just want to make sure that I know this is gluten free live bacteria. <laughs> They were not fed. No, exactly. Uh, no gluten was harmed in the feeding of these bacteria. They, 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 yeah, they were not fed by wheat. Non-GMO, it was, and if it, uh, non-GMO whatever, That's rice right. or something. That's right. So the bacteria they were free-range are bacteria. They were all union. They were teamsters. And <laughs> but hey, don't neglect your gut health, kids. No. Gut-brain biome is super important stuff. No, and but you not for buy, your sake, uh, but for your neighbor's sake. Yeah, right? for your neighbor's sake. That's right. Healthy yeah. gut flora, healthy intestinal flora, so healthy skin flora. You can care for but your yeah, neighbor. live kombucha. I buy it at Target. I don't know where other people can get it, but I can buy it at Target. Oh yeah, <clears throat> and it's great. It actually tastes like Dr Pepper. Fizzy, it is, and it's fizzy, which is the big thing for me. I like my bubbles. That's why I drink spring water too. Lacroix. Yeah, right. Yeah, exactly. I love passion fruit Lacroix. But anyways, enough Ooh. about my drinking habits. Um, the uh, I'm completely lost now. I just completely Off went down a rabbit trail of no return. Live being alive That's not right. dying Welcome. as Lutheran as it gets first episode uh, we made it pretty far before we completely slingshot it off into the tall into the weeds uh, yeah it wasn't bad it wasn't bad it wasn't. yeah but it's uh, a good place to end then right exactly I think so <laughs> but uh, yeah so for those of you listening uh, again volume 14 of Luther's work Psalm 118 the, the entire volume all of the Psalms in here because this is also the volume with uh, the, the seven penitential Psalms Oh, yeah. And the seven penitential psalms, 6, 32, 38, 51, 102, 130, 143. Luther will set your hair on fire. These are, like, what, 1525? Uh, so. Yes, 1525. Not, yep. Yeah, so this is the later ones. Yep, seven pen, penitential psalms. Psalm 51 is so good. Mm. You could spend a lifetime. That's like just, half the book, isn't it? Oh. Um, no, actually, it's very short. It's no, it page 165 right. to 177. Yeah. It is delicious. Then you've got the four Psalms of Comfort that he wrote the year after that in 1526. And then uh, some Psalm 1 and 2 from earlier. And then Psalm 117, 118, and 147, which he wrote between 1530 and 1532. But Luther's Works, Volume 14, is phenomenal. This is like my Desert Island devotional book. Yeah, it would work. Because you have, you have Penitential, Comfort, and... Uh... Yeah, I mean, obviously, with the seven penitential psalms, I pull this out most. I pull it out every Lent for sure. Yeah. Um, 
But yeah, even if I just want to read something and meditate on the Psalms uh, a little bit more broadly, this is the one I go to. Um, so hmm. yeah, uh, chew on Psalm 118, the Luther's commentary on Psalm 118. It's delicious. And then once you finish with that, dive into those penitential Psalms. And the, again, they'll light your hair on fire. They really will. Hmm. They'll melt all your circuits. Um, and then next time we come back, whenever that is, um, we will dive into another of our Lutheran fathers. I, I have a sneaking suspicion we might read a, a man named Dr. Herman Saze. Oh, yeah. Uh, he's got some really great church historical stuff that I think we, would, we could dive what, into. What book do I need? Sure we I Confess the Sacraments. We Confess the Sacraments. There's an essay he wrote called Preaching in the Sacraments or something, okay. which is... Or pre- yeah, preaching the sacraments is like sure, one of my favorite sure essays. Sure it's phenomenal. Could, so yeah, next week, Doctor Herman Saze. Um, so shout out to Coffee by Gillespie. Yes, <clears throat> and uh, I'm going to wait. I'm waiting for one of our listeners to nail down all those references that I made, that we made. Oh, yeah, get that free pound of coffee. Um, <laughs> yeah. I don't even know if we can nail them all down. <laughs> no, I'd have to listen to this. That would, that would require me to go back and listen to this. That's why you're the producer and I'm not. Are you so thanks for tuning in. And, uh, and you know, again, enjoy the ride. It's going to be fun. And uh, I hope we pass the audition. Yeah, absolutely. See ya. Higher Things thanks you for your support. Please continue to support the work we do with youth by going to our website at higherthings.org, clicking on the support and donating securely through PayPal. Your gift helps us in our mission to support pastors, youth workers, and parents daring our church's youth to be Lutheran. Higherthings.org slash support. Give today.